today. We're still in Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 17. So if you have your Bible with you, you can turn there. The words will also be on the screen, the verses for you. Uh, We're going to just read one verse today, and then we're going to get into the message. And this verse is found in Matthew chapter 17, verse 1. And here's what God's word says to us. It says, six days later, Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and led them up a high mountain to be alone. And on that note, let's pray in this place. Father in heaven, God, we're just excited to be here. We come here each and every week, not because the school is the best place to be, but because you are here. God, and because we can worship you and we can be in your presence, Lord, and through your word you speak to us. So, Father, come down in this place. Fill our hearts with your presence. God, help us to know your love. God, overcome the enemy. God, work and fight against the enemy in this place today and all the things he's been working up in our lives and the, the battle I've been sensing me this morning. God, I just pray that your, your presence would be made known. God, you'd speak through me in this place, that your word would be declared and you would change all of our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, this past week or so, Tony and I, we're, I, we're kind of like red box aficionados. If you don't know what the red box is, that's like dirt cheap movie rentals that sit outside Kroger or McDonald's or, you know, those places that we, we like picking up a red box every once in a while. If you, you get down to Friday and you've got no more money left in the account and it's date night and you're like, what am I going to do? Red box, right? So, um, that's what we do. And, uh, we rented a movie called Everest. Everest is a docudrama set in 1996 when a number of expeditions simultaneously set out to climb Mount Everest. And this is a a picture of Everest. This is one scary mountain. This is a fearsome place. Now, the reason why this story was important or why the story was told is because during this time, it, it seemed to be the cool thing to go to Everest. Right now, it's Facebook. Back then, it was climbing this scary mountain. And, uh, and so these groups came to the, the base of the mountain, and there was multiple expeditions, multiple teams kind of all racing each other to the top. And in this one specific event, uh, there were two major catastrophic winter storms that took place during these expeditions. And over the course of a few days, eight climbers lost their lives on the mountain. And I uh, looked into Everest to, as I've been studying this, this message, and come to find out, There are 200 bodies still on the mountain, frozen to death, still on the mountain. And the climbers use them as landmarks to know where they are on their way to the top. This mountain is no joke. This mountain is fearsome. And so when I read this verse in Matthew chapter 17, verse 1, that Jesus led his disciples up into a high mountain, this is the imagery I got in my mind. And so the first thing I kind of looked at this week was that life is like climbing a mountain. Our life is like climbing a mountain. Because in this story, what they, they couldn't just go right to the top. They had to reach different levels on the mountain. And I think in life, we do the same thing. We go from one level to the next, navigating through storms and rough terrain and obstacles that come our way, hoping to reach our final destination unscathed. This is kind of like the, the, the way we live our lives. And for many of us, whether you have a church background or maybe you live in another country and Christianity is not even on the radar, everyone has an idea of where they want their final destination to be. We all have this plan of where we'd like to be or where we would like to end up. Some call it heaven. When you get to the other side, we want to get into heaven. Some call it enlightenment. There's just this 
the state of eternal bliss. Some call it perfect peace or happiness. Deep down, every one of us, whether you are a Christian or not, I think when you get to the other side of life or when you get to the end of your life, you're hoping to get to a better place on the other side. And I believe that's because deep inside of us, put there by our creator, is this longing to be in relationship with him. He is the source of perfect love, perfect peace, perfect joy. And whenever he created us, he created us in that state, in that relationship. There was no pain, no suffering. We were in an enlightened state. We were in an eternal, blissful state. But sin entered into the picture and broke that relationship, removed us from that state. And we've been trying through struggling through one crisis after another, trying to get our way or work our way back into there. So we all want to go to the same place, but as human beings, we all kind of have different ideas on how to get there. Now, the climbers on Everest, they were all in different teams. They were all from different places, but they all had to travel the same path. There's only one path to the top. There was only one way to get there up the mountain. So even though these groups were from different places, they all had to go the same way. And so I started thinking about this. What if one of the teams decided, I'm not going to fight for my time on the trail today. I'm going to go my own way. We're going to go our own way. What would have happened to those men? Well, it would have been more than eight that died because there's only one way to the top. They would have gotten lost. They would have gotten stuck. They would have uh, probably lost their lives because of, you know, different calamities that would have befallen them. And Jesus, in John chapter 14, as he's talking to his disciples, Jesus also says that there is only one way to our final destination, the place that we all want to go. There is only one way to heaven. There's only one way back to God. There's only one path, one road that we can take. So if we don't follow or go through Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life, he is the only way for which we can get back to God. If we don't go through him, we will wander off, and we will fall and be fall to different calamities along the way. We will perish in the storms that come our way as we are climbing this mountain of life. And even though in the story Everest, even though everyone traveled the same path that day, the reality is, is not everyone made it. And not necessarily because of the storms. There were some that weren't physically able to make the climb. In Everest, you are at such a high elevation that there's literally barely any oxygen in the atmosphere. You have to carry O2 or tanks of O2 with you to be able to breathe on the mountain. Some couldn't stand the physical rigor or physical struggle to get up the mountain. Some were mentally unable to get to the mountain or to the top of the mountain. They just couldn't do it. They, they couldn't stand the harsh cold and the harsh conditions, and so their minds defeated them, and they turned back. And see, not everyone who sets off to follow Jesus, not everyone who chooses to be a Christ follower is going to make it either. In Matthew chapter 16, just the chapter just before our text today, in Matthew 16, Jesus has an exchange with Peter. This is the infamous section of where Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he asks them, who do people say that I am, guys? I want you to tell me, what is the rumor? What is, what's the latest gossip about me? Who are people saying that I am? And each one kind of gives their own answer. And then Peter speaks up very confidently and says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, And this is the time where Peter gets his name changed. He was called Simon. Now he's called Peter, which means a a piece of rock. And Jesus says, hey, you're a piece of rock. You are solid. You are right on track. And this statement that you just made, that is the foundation that I'm going to build the unstoppable church. 
that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so they have this great exchange, this great story, this great uh, illustration for us on how God is going to work through his church in the world. But then Jesus kind of shifts focus. Jesus begins to predict his death. And so you think, well, if the, the assembly of God, if the church of God is going to be unstoppable, then how can the leader be killed? How can Jesus be killed? And something begins to rise up and stir up in Peter. And Peter starts having a problem with what Jesus is saying. In verse 22 of Matthew chapter 16, it says, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him. Think about that for a minute. Here's God in the flesh, and I'm going to pull you aside and start chewing you out, start dogging you for what you just said. I mean, just kind of crazy how, uh, the, what's happening here in this story. But Peter says, heaven forbid, Lord, this will never happen to you. And I think right here in this moment, Peter is feeling loyal. He's like, I'm not going to let anything. This is my leader. This is my savior. This is my God. I'm going to stand up for him. Nothing's going to come against my God. Because Peter cared about Jesus. He cared about his well-being. Peter loved him. But the reality in this story is that Peter's plan and God's plan were not on the same page. They weren't on the same page. And many of us, we love Jesus. We care for Jesus. We want to stand up for Jesus when we see him being threatened, when someone comes against our faith and someone starts you know, kind of debating with us about you know, the validity of Scripture and whether Jesus was God. Something rises up in us. We get angry. We get defensive. We want to make a tough stand. But for many of us who care about the Lord, when it comes to God's plans and his expectations for our lives, the way we live our lives, and our own plans, we find them to be at odds. In verse 23 of Matthew 16, it says, Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap for me. You're seeing things merely from a human point of view and not from God's. Within just a very few amount of verses in our text. Peter goes from being a rock-solid disciple to being Satan incarnate. I mean, think how quickly that that changed. Because being a follower of Jesus is more than loving who he is and saying you believe in what he's done. Being a follower of Jesus is more than that. Jesus in chapter 16, or chapter 16 verse 24, he says, If any one of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. He's saying it's not enough, Peter, to get defensive about what's coming against me. It's not enough to say you love me. It's not enough to take a stand for me. What matters is that your plans, your expectations, your, your goals and desires line up with mine. That your choices, the decisions you make for your life line up with mine. That the path you follow is the one that I've paved through Jesus Christ. See, the climbers on Mount Everest had two choices. Either stay on the path that goes to the top or turn back. And we today have the very same choice. We either follow Jesus or we don't. Last week we talked about faith and repentance being tied together, that you can't have genuine faith in God or faith in Jesus without turning from your sin, turning from the things that he died to save you from. They go hand in hand. And that you need more than the appearance of faith. You need to walk the path of faith. The path that leads away from sin and pursues a life lived in Jesus Christ. And the climbers on Everest, they had not only to commit themselves to the path, 
but they had to surrender to it. Uh, many of them, they knew what was coming. They had attempted to climb the mountain before and were unsuccessful. And so they knew that if they were going to do it, if they were going to get to the top, if they were going to get to their final destination, that no matter what obstacles they faced, no matter what storms they encountered, no matter what pressures and alternative influences came their way, they had to stay on the path that leads to the top. They had to stay there. They had to stay committed. And one of the things we do in our in church, we've kind of developed this. This is a tradition that's kind of formed uh, in the evangelical movement over the last uh, several decades is this idea of the altar call. That's a Christianese term. You know what I'm talking about, though. It's at the end of the service where the pastor closes his message and then offers you an opportunity to respond to God for what he's done in your life. And many times what we'll do, and we don't do it every week here, but sometimes we'll offer you the opportunity to pray a prayer to receive Jesus Christ into your life. We call that getting saved. You know, tracking with me? You know what I'm talking about. But did you realize there's no place in the Bible that tells you to do that? There's no scripture that says, have those who don't know God pray this prayer so that they can become a Christian. There's no place in the Bible. There's no place. The scripture tells us, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 10, 9 and 10, if you confess Jesus as Lord with your mouth, we understand that to do that, it requires a form of prayer. He says, if you believe in your heart God's raised him from the dead, then you're saved. He says nothing about coming down an aisle and praying a certain set of words at the end of a service. This is something we've developed. And what has happened is that many times we rely on a prayer to change our lives because we're having an emotional experience. We hear a message that brings conviction to our heart. We pray a prayer and we feel this emotional experience. And then we leave the church service and are exactly the same. Nothing makes a difference. And we've come to train people to believe that if they pray a prayer, then They'll be all good in the hood. There's no need to do anything else. They're now a Christian. Welcome to heaven. But nowhere in the Bible does it say just praying a prayer is enough. The Bible does say that if you confess Jesus as your Lord, if you make that confession, if you make that declaration to God and you believe in your heart God's raised him from the dead, that you will be saved because belief requires more than words. Belief requires action. Faith, a prayer that's not born of faith and surrender to the will of God is nothing more than a wasted breath. You can't say Jesus is Lord and not give him authority in your life. If Jesus doesn't have the authority in your life to determine your steps to lead you on the path, then he's not really Lord. Just because you say he's Lord doesn't make him Lord. If you want to be his disciple, you need to follow the words of Christ that says you need to surrender your all, your everything to the Lord. Take up your cross and follow his path, his plan, what he's prepared for you in your life. And if you follow his path, he will lead you up the mountain to the summit, to the top. Jesus has this discussion with his disciples, and they knew they were wrestling with what he was saying, and he knew which disciples were ready to make the sacrifice, which ones were ready to follow him up the mountain. You see, the climbers at Everest couldn't just start up the mountain. They had to condition themselves. They had to train. When they got there, they set up base camp. They waited there for a few days to get used to the elevation. And then each day, they would venture out to different checkpoints, and they would come back down the mountain. And they would do this over the course of several days to get their bodies ready to take the journey. And here Jesus, he's preparing them. He's preparing his disciples to be ready to become a follower, to take this journey. And in Mark chapter 2, verse 17, Jesus kind of describes for us who is ready 
to take this journey. In Mark 2.17, Jesus says, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. So who's ready to follow Jesus? Who's ready to take the climb? Who's ready to surrender? It's those who recognize their sinfulness and their desperate need for a Savior. That there's no other option. There's no other way. There's no other uh, path that they could take. The only path is through Jesus. So no matter what it takes, I surrender to you, Father. I surrender to you, Lord. You have my life. Those are the ones who are ready to take the journey. Those who aren't trying to prove God's worthiness before they give him their faith, but those who through faith believe and trust in Jesus because they recognize his worthiness. Those who have gotten to the place where they're ready to give it all for the Lord, to weather any storms, to walk through any trials, to follow Jesus Christ. The disciples had to more than commit to the climb. Commitment gives you an out. They had to surrender to the climb. They had to decide that they were going to follow Jesus no matter what, no matter where he brought them, no matter where he took them. And until our hearts are in the same place, Jesus says we are not worthy to be called his disciple. We are not ready to follow him. And just like the climbers at Everest, after the disciples were conditioned, after they conditioned their bodies to the environment of the mountain, and the disciples' hearts were conditioned to the nature to follow Jesus Christ, Jesus knew that Peter, James, and John were ready, that they were all in. And he selected them to follow up the mountain, follow him up the mountain. Their faith was more than lip service. Their faith was more than just talk, and he set to lead them out on a great adventure, to do something amazing. And I believe God wants to take us on the same journey. Jesus wants to take us on the same journey. He's waiting for our hearts to go all in so he can do something amazing. And the moment we surrender, the moment we say, God, all I am is yours, is the moment you're ready to step foot on the mountain. Life is like climbing a mountain, but the only way to the top is by surrendering to the path that will lead you there, and that is through Jesus Christ. Second thing I see here is once you give up this life, once you surrender, make that move to surrender, once you give up this life, you get a glimpse of glory. In Matthew chapter 17, verse 2, it says, As, they, as the men watched, they are at the top of the mountain. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as light. And suddenly Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. In this moment, his disciples get a glimpse of the glory of God. Jesus removes the scales from their eyes. He opens their eyes, and they get to see Jesus as he was before he was born to Mary on that Christmas Eve. In Romans chapter 8, verse 23, Paul the Apostle, teaching the church of Rome, he says, And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit with us as a foretaste of future glory, We long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We, too, wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us the full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he's promised for us. You see, what Jesus did on that mountaintop is he revealed his nature, his glory. And Scripture says that we've been given the Holy Spirit as a taste of that same glory that is destined to come the day we see Jesus face to face. When we get the new glorified bodies, when we get to share in his righteousness, to share in the glory of God, he's giving them the glimpse of what is to come. The same glory we see in Jesus is the same glory he has prepared for us 
who are his children. And at the moment of surrender, at the moment you surrender to God and say, God, it is all yours, and the Holy Spirit comes in, you get a taste of that future glory. You get a sense of what God is preparing to do with you for all eternity. But in many situations we face, when we go through struggles and trials and we're asking God to do work on our behalf, many times God reveals himself in different ways. We don't necessarily get to see the bright light, the bright white light from heaven, but we see God show up in different ways. He reveals his glory in different ways in our situations and circumstances. And there have been many times where I was struggling, going through something, and I was just asking God, God, what do you want from me? What do you want to do? Just show up. Show me something. Whether we were struggling financially or personally, or you're struggling in a relationship, there, you're just at that point where you're just desperate for God to show up and work everything out in your life. You're asking, God, give me a glimpse of your glory. Reveal yourself. Reveal what you want for me. And it, I just know from my experience, it wasn't until I got to the place of surrender where I just handed everything over to the Lord and said, whatever you want, Lord, whatever you want for me, it's at that moment God would begin to work things out. And uh, I can remember a time when Tony and I were newly married. We were fresh out of college. We had a, a, a baby girl, first first baby, Jocelyn, was born. And, and I was working a full-time job but for part-time pay. You know what that's like. And so I, we just had no real direction. We had no idea what God was wanting to do with our lives. I needed a career, but didn't really have, you know, much uh, experience. And so I was just praying, God, what is it that you want from us? What do you want for us? We're just begging God to work things out. And it wasn't until I just laid that whole situation at his feet and said, God, you know what? I'm going to go wherever you want me to go. I'm going to do whatever you want me to do. And I started taking steps of faith. What I believed he was opening for us, that he revealed his glory. He opened a glimpse of what he wanted for our lives and opened the path that ultimately led my wife and I to this place today. There have been so many situations like that where I've been desperately seeking God and needing him to show up in my life. And it wasn't until I got to that place of surrender that the glimpse of his glory was revealed, that his hand was revealed in our lives. And there have been so many situations like that. And in 17, uh, verse 4, Peter exclaimed, as he's witnessing this glimpse of glory from the Lord, it says, It's wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make these three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. The disciples were terrified and fell face down on the ground. See, once you give up this life, once you give up and you surrender to God's will for your life, you get a glimpse of his glory. He reveals himself to you. But what impact it has on your life is determined by how you respond to it. See, here they were getting a glimpse of glory. They were excited. Peter wanted to do something for the Lord, and God showed up and kind of put a stop to his plans. The third thing I see here is that our natural response Oftentimes, to what God does in our lives, our natural response to the glimpse of glory is to get religious, is to become religious. Uh, we have a very generous church, and I'm very thankful for that. I'm thankful for how you give and for our faithfulness. I'm thankful for how God's opened doors for us to minister into our community and people that are struggling. Even if it's on a small scale, it's not as high as what we would like. It's just incredible to have those opportunities. But one of the things I... I 
I come against time after time when we go to help somebody. So many times we show up to help people, especially when it has to do with financial uh, issues or financial things. The response of the person that we help is usually, well, we'll, we'll make sure to pay this back. Well, we'll pay this back. We'll give this back. We'll, we'll start doing something. We're, we want to help too. And so we're going to come and we're going to pay this back. And, and our natural response, if you think about it, our natural response to God giving us something is to pay him back, is to give back to him. This is what was happening in Peter. Peter sees this glimpse of glory. He says the glory of the Lord. He says Moses and Elijah, and he instantly wants to get religious. He wants to build these shrines to honor this, this moment in his life. And our natural response is to the glimpse of glory that God gives us is to get religious, to find a way to earn his grace and goodness towards us. And that's all that religion is. Religion is trying to pay God back for what he's done or to earn what he's given you. It's a man-made way to earn what God has freely given. And if you think about it, if you're given a gift, if God's blessed you, if you pay it back, it's no longer a blessing. You just bought it. Right? If someone blesses you and you pay them back or you return the favor, it's no longer a blessing. God gives his grace to you, not because you have to earn it, but because it's free, because he loves you. And so when we do these things, we try to pay God back. We in turn turn religious. And so in this story, Peter, seeing this glimpse of the glory of the Lord, he immediately opts for the religious response. His heart was in the right place, I think. He wanted to honor God. But he missed the point of why he was getting the glimpse of glory to begin with. And this happens to us. When God moves in our situation and we go religious, we miss out on the point of what God is doing. You see, God does not give you a glimpse of his glory in the middle of your situation for you to become religious. He gives you a glimpse of his glory to shift your focus to Jesus. This is what he does. And when the dust settled and Moses and Elijah were gone, when the cloud was gone, the figures of the old religion that held up the patriarchs of the, the Jewish faith were no longer there. The only one was left was Jesus because that's all they were needing to focus on. Immediately after Peter suggested to build these altars, the cloud came, the father spoke, and he said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. Don't worry about the old ways. Don't worry about the other guys. Pay attention to Jesus. Jesus is the reason why I'm showing up in your situation. The glimpses of glory are intended to point you to Jesus, to build your faith, to engage your heart in surrender, to draw your ear close, to listen to his voice, and find out what he's planned for your life. To let you know he's not forgotten you, but he's working something out for you in your situation. So only those who are following Jesus, or surrendered to his will, are going to see the glimpse of his glory. After the Father speaks in verse 7 of chapter 17, it says, Jesus came over and touched them and said, Get up, don't be afraid. And when they looked up, Moses and Elijah were gone, and they saw only Jesus. As they went back down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Don't tell anyone what you've seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. So our natural response to the glimpse of his glory is to be religious. But here we see Jesus declare by telling them not to say a word about what they've seen is that the summit or the mountaintop isn't the end. It's only the beginning. What God does on the mountaintop, when God reveals his glory, it's not the end. It's only the beginning. God doesn't want us hanging out on the mountaintop, on the summit, taking in the sights. He wants you to venture back down the mountain to help somebody up the mountain. For so many Christians, 
We feel like once we get a glimpse of his glory, once the day we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we realize our sins are forgiven, that we've somehow arrived, that we're now in this place, that, that we're at the mountaintop. We've gotten to our final destination. And since our natural response is to be religious, we do like what Peter wanted to do. We erect shrines, but yet we call them churches, and we are content with just hanging out in our tents, basking in the memory of the glimpses that we've received long ago. And I think about the climbers in the movie Everest, and if they had just stayed on the mountaintop, if they had stayed up there and, and decided never to venture down, they would have instantly been gone. They would have died. They would have suffocated or froze to death. And so many Christians are just hanging out on the mountaintop of their Christian life, of their faith, and the, they're, they're just trying to soak in the glimpses of glory that they've received. And so many of them are waking up every day to the dissatisfaction of a weak or dead faith because they're trying to live in the memory of what's happened in the past instead of following Jesus in the glory of his purposes right now in the present. So Jesus took his disciples back down the mountain and told them not to say a word about what they just experienced because the glimpse they received on the summit wasn't for now, it was for later. Jesus said that after his resurrection, they were able to tell people what they experienced that day. And I believe that when God shows up and gives you a glimpse of his glory, when you're struggling in the climb, when you're entering into a circumstance or a situation that is hard for you to endure, and God shows up and reveals himself, that that is not for that moment. That glimpse isn't for that situation. That glimpse is for a time later when you're going to encounter someone going through the same situation who needs an encouragement or an encouraging word to keep going. Someone who needs you to be there to help them know that there's something good on the other side of what they're going through, that there's something good on the other side of this pain. I believe that everything that we go through, every struggle we face, that there is a day appointed when God reveals himself to you, that he will use that situation and to be used in your life to minister to someone struggling coming up behind you, someone going through the same issues that you're wrestling with. And because of what God has done in your life, you can be the light that leads them to the only path that will make a difference in their lives, to Jesus Christ. The only path that leads back to the relationship we all desperately desire to the final destination we're all working so hard to arrive to. See, our lives were not meant to be lived on the mountaintop or the summit. Those mountaintop moments are what fuel the everyday climb for a follower of Jesus Christ. We're not supposed to stay stuck taking in the sights. We're supposed to travel the path back towards the bottom where people are still looking for where they can take their first step. Our mission in the climb is that at every level, we find those who are lost on the mountain and lead them to Jesus so they too can get a glimpse of his glory. His disciples asked him after this encounter, after the, the miracle of the revelation of who he really was, about why the Pharisees, the teachers of religious law that day, were telling everyone that Elijah had to come back before the Messiah could show up. Because as far as they knew, they hadn't seen Elijah other than that moment when he appeared with Jesus. And uh, there was a prophecy in the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4, that specifically mentions Elijah having to return before the Messiah would show up. And Jesus confirms to his disciples as they're walking down the mountain that Elijah had already returned, that he had already showed up, but that he was missed. People didn't recognize who he was, and then they finally realized he was referring to John the Baptist. And as I was reading this, this passage, the reality struck me. 
here that before the disciples got this glimpse of glory, the glimpse of the glory of the Lord, they knew who John the Baptist was. They had met him. They had talked with him. They'd seen his ministry. Jesus was baptized and they were present. Even though they knew who he was, they still didn't understand who he really was. That, that what his purpose was, what, what, his, what his ministry was fulfilling in the program of God and how God was working through him in the lives of the people there in the story of the gospel. And, and so as I was thinking through this, the, the question you know, I was wrestling with is that we question God in the storm. When we're going through our struggles and our trials, we question him when the climb gets really hard. And it's in those moments that we're struggling, we're enduring, we don't really see what he's doing all around us. We don't recognize his hand. We don't recognize the role that other people are playing in our lives to get us through these situations. And it's in those moments that we need to trust that he's leading us to a better place, that God has got it all figured out. You may not understand why you're going through a painful situation. You may not understand why this level in your climb on the mountain is the hardest level you've ever gone through. But soon enough, the glimpse is coming and all things will be revealed when God shows up in your situation. The glimpse didn't just open their eyes to who Jesus really was. It opened their understanding to the truth of what God was doing all around them. And here, all these people in their lives, these Pharisees, these people that thought they had it together, who were desperately clinging on to the path they had chosen for themselves, they saw all the same signs, but they didn't recognize or didn't trust in Jesus, and they didn't surrender to his path, and they missed the truth of who John was. They missed the prophecy or fulfillment of prophecy that they had been waiting for because the truth was hidden to them. And there's so many people in our lives people you know, people you're close to, who are clinging on to their spiritual GPSs. They think that, man, if I'm just a good person or if I follow this religion or if I just, you know, stick to these books and these self-help uh, tips that I'll make it, everything will be okay. And they're hoping that they will end up at their chosen destination, unscathed. But because they're not on the path that goes through Jesus, they won't even see the signs that lead them to the right path. They won't even know where to go. They'll miss out on what God is doing all around them. And that is why we get the glimpse. That's why we get a glimpse of his glory. Why we get to see God work in our lives and reveal himself in our situations. That's why he sends us back down the mountain to continue his work to seek and to save those who are lost. You see, the mountaintop, the summit, isn't the end. It's, the only, it's only the beginning. And the good news for the followers of Jesus Christ, those of us who are working to rescue those who are far from God, is that, number five, no one climbs alone. We don't climb alone in this life. The climbers on Everest, they climbed in teams. They had partners. They were all harnessed together. They were clipped in. They followed a line that led them up the path toward the top of the mountain. And as followers of Jesus Christ, if we are surrendered to his will for our lives, we'll be harnessed together by our faith, we'll be clipped in by his word, and we'll be led up the mountain through the Holy Spirit as we pursue a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't leave his disciples to climb alone. No, he united them with a common purpose, and he led, himself, led them himself up and down the mountain. And you and I will not be climbing alone. We'll be climbing together as a team that is made up of others who have gone on to follow Jesus Christ, and Jesus himself will lead the way. And this is why the church matters. 
This is why the church matters. Not so that we can all come to this place week after week and be religious and pay God back for what he's done in our lives, but so together we can encourage each other through the glimpses God has given us in our lives, the experiences we've had on our mountaintops to help each other through the storms and the rugged terrain on the mountain, to help each other navigate this life. We can push each other to keep reaching the next level in our faith journey because God has prepared a people for us to reach, and we are not going to reach them if we go our own way, if we keep everything God has done in our lives to ourselves, if we get lost out in the storm, or if we stay on the mountain checking out all the sights and scenery, making religious activity our main purpose. We need to be actively pursuing the will of God and what he wants for us. The core concept of this message today and the key thing I want us to remember is that no matter what you face, no matter what you go through, God is preparing you for a prepared people. God is preparing you for a prepared people. You matter. We say this every week. You matter. Your story matters. We need you on the team. We need you to be surrendered to Jesus, to be following the path he has for your life, to be working with us to engage those who are far from God and lead them to becoming fully developed followers of Jesus Christ. We need you because you matter. And just as Jesus planned to use this glimpse of glory from his disciples to fuel his disciples' ministry, God is going to use the glimpses of glory that you receive in your life to fuel yours. Because he has a ministry for you. He has a plan for you. God's preparing you for a prepared people. There's someone out there that he's working and ministering to and preparing for the day you encounter him and are able to lead them to Jesus. And the good news is that as he's preparing you, he's also preparing the team around you. That we're all in this together. And the question I have for you to meditate on today, as we leave this place and as we close our services, is does your life reflect your faith? Does your life reflect your faith? If you confess to being a follower of Jesus Christ, does your life reflect that confession? Are you using your story, what God has done in your life, to encourage and motivate others to find and follow Jesus? Have you surrendered to God's will? For your life. So if you want to experience a glimpse of his glory. If you want to experience God working in your life. If you want to see what he's doing. And, and know that he's preparing you to make a big impact in the lives of other people. Then you need to surrender today to the Lord. Surrender. Take up your cross and follow him. Say, Jesus, all that I am is yours. If that's you here today. You can begin that act of surrender today. Through prayer, you can call out on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you can give your life to Him. But more important than the prayer you pray is what comes after. If your prayers don't have feet, then they are just words. Make the decision to surrender and then choose each day to follow Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just come to you in this place. Lord, we thank you for your word and your grace, Lord, and we know. We know how difficult it is to weather these storms. And so many times we're on the mountain, we're clinging for dear life. The storm comes by, our vision gets blurred, and it's so easy to get distracted with the worries of this world. It's easy to get distracted 
with painful situations, with struggles, when we're dealing with family issues, when we're dealing with uh, uh, problems in our marriages, when we're dealing with problems financially, problems with our children. God, all these things happen. Get us distracted. Lord, in those moments, God, I pray that you would reveal yourself. Lord, that we would have a heart of surrender, that we would say, God, no matter what happens in this situation, all I am is yours. And then you would show up, God, and reveal yourself. Lord, that you'd give us a boldness to recognize when other people are struggling and that we would be bold enough to use the stories and the things that we've encountered in our lives to encourage and help other people because we're in this together. God, let us be a people of surrender. Let us be true disciples, worthy of your calling. That nothing else would matter other than living for Jesus, listening to his voice, and giving him glory with all that we are. He gave everything he had for us on the cross. He shed his blood. He gave his life. The least we can do is listen for his voice and follow him. God, I just thank you for all that you're doing in this place and in this church. God, I just pray for Easter and our Easter services and things are coming. God, I pray that your glory would be revealed. Many people would come to know you as their Savior. And God, that the glory of the Lord would truly be revealed in this place. We're asking for a glimpse of your glory. Be with us now as we leave this place. Keep our hearts connected with yours. Keep our ears tuned to listen for the voice of Jesus. And never let us be afraid to share what you've done in our lives. Help us to be watching for those people you've prepared for us. And help us trust you in that preparation process. We ask this in